My name is Glenn Dietrich, and you are listening to Cyber Runners. Welcome to the Cyber Runners podcast brought to you by the Department of Information Systems and Cybersecurity in the Carlos Alvarez College of Business at the University of Texas at San Antonio. As a top research university, the goal of this podcast is to profile our cybersecurity research. We'll also explore career opportunities for current and future students, young professionals, and new alumni. In this episode, we talk about the history of the cybersecurity program at UTSA and research opportunities for students with our guest, Dr. Glenn Dietrich. You contributed a lot to the cybersecurity program here at UTSA. Can you discuss how the program has evolved over time and some significant milestones that the program has been able to achieve? In 2000, the city of San Antonio had a group called the San Antonio Technology Accelerator Initiative, SATI. And they were tasked with the objective of finding the strengths and weaknesses of San Antonio from an economic development standpoint. One of the major groups in San Antonio was at the time called the Air Intelligence Agency. And they were responsible for monitoring the unclassified networks for the Air Force around the world. So that was a significant cybersecurity effort and they had a lot of well-trained people that were doing that. So the Satai group said, well, you know, that's one of our strengths. Let's build upon that from an economic development standpoint. If you look at the technology centers around the country, like Silicon Valley and Phoenix and, and Massachusetts and so on, they all are built around major universities. The universities provide classes, they train people, they provide expertise from faculty and so on. So Satai was looking for a university to be their linchpin, so to speak, for their cybersecurity efforts. And they came to UTSA. They went to the College of Engineering, and engineering didn't have the faculty or the coursework or whatever, and engineering said thanks, but no thanks. They then went to the Department of Computer Science, and Computer Science told them the same thing, no thanks. Well, the dean of the sciences at the time had been on several committees. We were on several committees together. So he came to me and said, do you think your group would be interested? I was chair of the Department of Information Systems at the time. And I said, sure, we can do that. I was in late 2000. We had wow. no faculty. We had no coursework. We had an idea. That's really cool. And had the big support of the faculty. And there were only about seven or eight of us at the time. We were a relatively small program. So spring of 2001, we hired a part-time person. His name was Greg White, who's still on the comp side faculty. He was um, a reserve officer in the Air Force, and he was working for a civilian firm in San Antonio. We started at that time looking at what we needed to really have a legitimate program. And the NSA had this program called Center of Academic Excellence. So we thought, well, we'll look at what they have so we can become recognized. We put together a group from the Air Intelligence Agency, from different industry partners around town. And I looked at some of the other schools that were teaching cybersecurity. So given all those things, we put together our first set of curriculum and applied to NSA for our Center of Excellence, which we received in 2002. And at that time, there were, we were one of the first 34 schools in the country 
that had a center of excellence. We were the first in Texas, and we grew from there. Uh, that really, that center of excellence really was the the key. In 2002, we got a $2.5 million grant from the Department of Defense to do research. So we sat down with the Air Force and our industry group and said, okay, which of these are most important? And we got to $2.5 million, we quit. And that was our first group. But it's, if you look, in, look back on it, that's the main reason why we got such big programs in ComSci and engineering today. It's because they got that start from that first grant. And two years later, we got three and a half million dollars more. So in the first two years, we had six million dollars in research funding. Wow. That's a good way to start a program. For sure. We had the support of, of the Dr. Romo and the rest of the administrative the faculty and staff at the, at the university. So it wasn't just me starting it. It was a lot of, a lot of help. Our faculty and IS all pitched in and did what we needed to do. And, uh, we started hiring people. We hired uh, Rob Kaufman, who he, some of you still know. He's still on our faculty. I tell you, the Air Force, now it's called the 16th Air Force. It's no longer their intelligence agency. But they've been a tremendous supporter of ours. They hire our students in part-time and full-time. They provide faculty. We're now up to about 45 faculty just to teach cybersecurity, which to me is amazing. We got 2,200 undergraduate students majoring in cybersecurity. That's crazy. So in terms of the milestones, the Center of Excellence was the biggest one. 2009, we became a Center of Excellence in Research. And in 2018, I think it is, uh, the CompSci got the Center of Excellence in Cyber Operation. And we've had scholarship students Every year since 2002, we had 10 recently selected for the DOD scholarship. We have the National Science Foundation scholarship program. And both of those programs are dependent upon you having the Center of Excellence. So you know, that Center of Excellence really was the key to getting our program where it is today. In the past, you spoke about Idaho National Labs' focus on industrial control systems. Can you explain what industrial control systems are and how they're relevant to the research being conducted at Idaho National Labs? Uh, industrial control systems are how every manufacturing that uses a, a computer of any size works. It includes automobiles, it includes the electrical grid, the water grid, the Toyota assembly plant, uh, just about everything has computer controls in it. So industrial control systems is how you keep those things safe. Idaho National Labs has been around since prior to World War II. Oh, wow. And their main area of interest, at least one of them, is um, the electrical grid. And if you think about what's electricity got to do with industrial control systems, think about how electricity is generated. You got generators which are mechanical, you got to control the temperatures, pressures, electrical output, what the feedstock is, and on and on. And then you got to distribute it. And all those steps have high voltage electricity, which gives them some amount of danger. But because of their early interest, control systems became an interest in Idaho National Labs. The uh, oil refineries like around Houston and Beaumont and that area and some in San Antonio are very much dependent upon computer controls. They're pretty much automatic. 
feed the oil in at the top and take the gasoline a lot along the way. But what happens if they get overheated or somebody shuts it off or does something wrong? It could go bang. And it's poisonous most of the time. It sure smells bad, if nothing else. So they're everywhere. So the class that we teach goes over pretty much the principles of all that and some of the unique aspects of it. And we do have research projects going on in that area. UTSA offers a class that connects students with various government agencies to participate in research projects. Can you elaborate on the contents of the Federal Research Projects course at UTSA and what opportunities will be open to students who take it? Well, the CHIR program is intended to provide an opportunity for students, both graduate and undergraduate, and essentially any major, to conduct research that is part of a real-world opportunity. And the way it works is there, there are subject matter experts at the various federal labs and the uh, FFRDCs, which is another name for a federal lab, and NSA. They have uh, subject matter experts to have problems that they are working on as part of their job, and they want student help for several reasons. One is when you work in the field or you work in any field, and you all will experience it already, if you haven't already, is you get very myopic in what you look at. You solve a problem today and tomorrow the problem comes along and you want to use the same solution because it worked before. And particularly in cybersecurity, folks, that's not a good idea. So with the subject matter experts, you're saying, well, let's get a different generation. Let them look at the problem from a different perspective and see what they can come up with. And the problem projects vary. It could be writing a computer model for something. We've done work on validating a model that Purdue students generated to see if it was appropriate for uh, cloud security. Uh, we had some, I don't know, one was kind of strange. I thought it was an NSA project to come up with a way of measuring the validity of data that's posted on a social website how valid is that data if it's posted anonymously? Now think about that as a problem, and how would you solve it? Uh, we've had problem projects that are autonomous vehicle to autonomous vehicle communication and the security of that. Cars are very insecure, and they're more and more controlled by computers. Uh, we had a couple that looked at how Java managed memory. Uh, one of the students that did that project found a way of vulnerability in the way Java handled memory that NSA folks were not aware of. So they were very pleased that this student helped them. We had another one that wrote a, a paper on when a program branches, is that branch instruction vulnerable? And that paper was presented at one of our major conferences. We've done things on privacy. We've done, well, a variety of things. There's probably 20 or 25 thereabouts projects every year. And they're from, a, I don't know, 10 or 12 different agencies. NSA is the biggest one, but Idaho Labs, uh, even Johns Hopkins APL has done projects with us. Students all write a paper at the end. It's a, it has to be a good paper. It's posted. So none of the students want to have their name on a paper that's bad. <laughs> so the papers are usually pretty good and they're presented to the uh, technical directors at the various labs. And it's a good project. Now that's just one of the opportunities that the students have for doing research here, though. 
because all of our faculty essentially have some kind of projects that they work on. So students are always encouraged to talk to their faculty, see if there's something they can do. And another way is if you have students have an idea that they want to pursue, find a faculty, do an independent study. It doesn't have to be the faculty coming to the student. The student can come to the faculty. And it's encouraged. All of our faculty encourage that because research helps everybody. It helps you. It helps you being the students. And it helps faculty as well. So what advice could you give to a student that's interested in in doing a research program and further pursuing towards their doctorate? There's, There's two parts to that. One is getting through your master's degree, for sure, which requires you get through your bachelor's degree. GPAs are important in both of those. And then you apply to be in the PhD program. We have full-time and part-time, although part-time is, in my opinion, not as effective as full-time because you lose concentration and people tend to underestimate the amount of time required in a doctoral level class. So you just apply, it goes before a committee, and if you're selected, the school will pay for part of your way. When it comes to the many scholarship opportunities offered to UTSA students, what specific ones do you think a cyber student would want to be made aware of? Well, there's two scholarships that are main scholarships. One is a Department of Defense scholarship, and students apply to that we submit the applications to the Department of Defense, and then they submit it to several Department of Defense agencies like the Air Force, the Navy, or whatever, and then they select the students. The scholarship pays, if you're an undergraduate, 27000 a year stipend, tuition, fees, books, medical, and a laptop. If you're a graduate student, you still get tuition, fees, books, and all that but your stipend is 32000 And it'll pay for two years as an undergraduate, two years as a master's, and two years as a PhD. And during that time, you get a security clearance, assuming you're eligible for one. And you have a job when you come out. Like if the 16th Air Force selects you, when you graduate, you go to work for the 16th Air Force. One year for each year you're on scholarship. Out of 2,200 students, how many applications do you think we would we got this year? About 139 okay. out of 2,200 applied. It's a good scholarship. And then there's the, the other program is called the Scholarship for Service. And it's uh, funded by the National Science Foundation. It's essentially the same benefit package. The main, there's two main differences. One is... You have to find your own job when you graduate. And of course, you get help from the school. You actually get help from the program. They have a job fair every January, and and they pay your way to go to D.C. to talk to all these agencies that are looking for people. And the DOD one, you have your job before you're in the program. The other major difference is in the scholarship for service, you can work for any federal, state, local, tribal government and I think you can even get credit for uh, teaching in a public school. And you owe one year in both programs. You owe yet one year of service for each year you're on scholarship. And the DOD one, you have to go to work for a DOD agency. 
and they get about the same number of uh, applicants that we do. So in regards to the future, what are you excited most for the cybersecurity program here at UTSA? I think the best part of the cybersecurity program is the benefits that this, you all, all you all, to be plural of you all, uh, benefit from it. It's a career field where you're very well paid. An undergraduate coming out of our program can make it in the high 80s and low 90s. If they wanted to leave San Antonio, they can make six figures. If you go into, just to give you a couple examples, we had two students that were in our DOD scholarship program that went to work for the 16th Air Force. They went to what they call their schoolhouse, which is a herbal, it's like a six-month program. They finished their obligation at the Air Force. They both went to private companies in the neighborhood of 250000 a year two years out of high, uh, college. They weren't doctorates, they weren't masters, they were bachelor's degrees. That program that the Air Force has for training, and it's not a commercial for them, but the program that they have for training their people is better than any place else you can go, and that includes NSA. So I think that even if they're not picked up by the Air Force and they're not on scholarship or whatever, the fact that you're coming out of this program with its reputation the way it is, students can get a good opportunity to take a job in San Antonio or anywhere else that they wanted to go. People like Google and Microsoft and the big names like that hire our students. Locally, there's uh, over 200 companies that support the, the um, government agencies in town like uh, the 16th Air Force and NSA Texas and the Southwest Protection Center from the Army. So you got a lot of opportunities, more than any other major. You know, some of the other majors like accounting and all pay a lot of money too, but not like cyber. And I'm biased, you can leave that in. But cyber changes every day. You know, you can look at economics or, or accounting or whatever, and yeah, they change tax laws, but. You know, it's pretty, you know, debits are on the left and credits are on the right or the other way around, however it is. And it never changes for years, probably a hundred years. You can't say that about cyber. And what we're seeing more and more, 10 or 15 years ago, the primary people that were trying to hack into systems were what were called script kiddies. People your age or younger, high school kids, who have a challenge. Well, let's try to get into the Bank of America system. And if they were successful, they post it and they brag about it. And you still see some of that. But you see now more where we have nation states that are doing that. Unfriendly to us, trying to hack into our systems. You have political groups. You have religious groups. They're organized. They're well-funded. They're well-educated. And if you really think about what it takes to be a hacker, couple hundred dollar laptop, access to the internet, I can download a whole bunch of really sophisticated hacking programs free. All I got to do is learn how to use them, and I can go after anybody. And we see a lot of that. But it's more the organized states. And we do it as well. You know, we got a cyber command. Air Force has a lot of people doing cyber. It's not all defensive. So, you know, like we saw in, um, in the Ukraine, we saw it in 
in Georgia, where the first part of a, of a kinetic engagement was taking out command and control systems, which are cyber. So if you can't control your forces, you're not going to be able to do much. So to me, the biggest event, well, several advantages to cyber. One is the readily available jobs that are very well paying and that are actually have a lot of room for advancement. You can start your own company. Like we've had several students that have done that and have been quite successful. We have students that are chief security officers in, in major corporations. And a lot of that is because of the training and the education that you get at this university and this program. So it's, it's tough to beat. Now, if you don't like to be challenged and you don't want to keep up to date, the big, a big challenge is keeping up to date. What's going on? You know, can you tell me what big hack that happened two, three days ago? It's okay. My students no, couldn't tell me either. Yeah. And they're supposed to be looking at that. For sure. Consumer Protection Agency was hacked. And they went through the Consumer Protection Agency to some of the major banks. And some of the major banks to most of their creditors. And they're... You don't hear about that kind of stuff anymore because it's routine. Yeah. You don't hear about ransomware. You know, even a year ago, you heard ransomware all the time. Every day you heard about somebody having ransomware. When's the last time you heard about that? And we just blow it off because it became so common it wasn't news. And the same for the for some of the major hacks. Now, there are some rules they got to you have to report some of it, particularly if you're in the financial world. But a lot of them wait six months. Nobody wants to admit that they were hacked. That causes uncertainty on the part of uh, your depositors. I mean, look what happened to those two banks that in uh, California that had to run on the bank, and all of a sudden they weren't solid anymore, and somebody else had to buy them out. Well, that same thing could happen if it was a cyber attack. So, I think it's good. Program has been good for students. It's been good for the university. It's given us a lot of notoriety. It's helped us become an R1 school. Uh, you could probably go to any, there's 500 and no, 420 centers of excellence in the country today. You could probably go to any one of them and they would tell you that we have a good program here. The reputation is national, and it's, it's, it's very well thought of. And one of the reasons, not just because in the college that it's so good, because we have a program in com computer science, we have one in electrical engineering, we hired a faculty member some years ago under a special hire to, uh, in psychology to do cyber work, and we hired one in public policy to do cyber work. Not many universities have cyber in two colleges, let alone five. And we're one of the few and certainly the largest that has one in the College of Business. But if you look at our program in the college, it's not just behavioral. I mean, we have a lot of the hardcore stuff like intrusion detection and risk assessment, digital forensics, industrial control systems. You don't find those in a College of Business program except ours. Thank you so much to Dr. Dietrich for being the guest on episode two of Cyber Runners. It's been an honor having you. To our listeners, be sure to check the show description and follow us on all social media platforms to stay informed about updates on future episodes. We hope you've enjoyed our conversation with Dr. Dietrich.